Hi, I'm Liz. And I'm Marie. And this is Market, a podcast for Metrostar, where we take a deep dive look into UX design, trending design topics, and making our work transform the government. Let's get started. So today we have another guest episode. So uh, Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Jason Glisson. Um, I'm a Drupal developer at Metrostar. Uh, I guess I'm going into my fourth year at Metrostar. Um, I've been involved in a variety of different projects. Um, I started on USDA when I first came to Metrostar and was on that for several years um, and then moved off. And now I work with the health uh, business units, um, doing a couple other things in the background for uh, various projects, but also working on um, you know, some of the bigger picture things for Metrostar, really trying to build kind of a Drupal community within our company, if I can. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I, I, I want to focus on in the next couple of years is really building something in Metrostar to kind of push Drupal um, for our clients and for our projects. Yeah, that's an awesome segue for our episode, right? It's on um, what is Drupal and what should designers and developers know going into 2022? Um, so do you want to first start off, start off and tell us what is Drupal? Sure. Um, so Drupal is a, a content management system. Um, many people have, have heard of WordPress. WordPress is um, it's really a blogging platform uh, that's just been kind of stretched and pulled uh, to be a, a content management system. So uh, a content management system is what websites use to um, manage their content, uh, be it you know building individual pages or um, you know uploading images, uploading documents for displaying on your website. Um, and Drupal is really a true content management system, and and that means out of the box when you install it on your server, you immediately have all the tools you need to build your website. You can build your pages, you can build individual content types, you can upload documents, images, various things. Um, and uh, and then you can add users, you could add your clients and give them specific permissions to do or not do things within your site. Um, and Drupal has been around for a while. It's It's been, um, gosh, I don't know exactly, maybe in the early two, 2000s is when it started. But uh, I've been involved with it for almost almost 15 years now um, since it was in Drupal 5. Uh, it's now going into Drupal 10 next year. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of an exciting time for Drupal um, because there have been a lot of changes in the last few years uh, with kind of the end of life coming for Drupal 7. Um, we're now moving into Drupal 8, 9, and 10 everyone is kind of making a mad dash to get on to Drupal 8, uh, at least Drupal 8, and then go to 9 and 10 from there. Um, but, you know, as far as the federal space goes, uh, Drupal has really become a big name. Um, one reason being that it's free software. Um, you can download it for free right now if you wanted to. The open source community for it is fantastic, and you're you're talking hundreds of thousands of developers worldwide that work on Drupal, not just building sites for it, but they're also building components and modules and testing it and making it more secure. And um, it's it's really a great community building this free software for anyone to use. So 
that's been attractive for the federal space because you've got um, a very secure piece of software. You've got a lot of developers that know how to use it. Um, and you can, you know, out of the box, pretty much do anything you need to. And I think it really got uh, noticed in the federal space when the Obama administration set up the White House website using Drupal. Um, before that, it was kind of like a lot of nonprofits were using it. Um, some medium-sized companies were using it, but then uh, once the White House website started using Drupal, uh, the Department of Energy use started using it, uh, Treasury started using it, and then it kind of spread like wildfire. Now, uh, nearly every federal agency is using it. Could um, you, you mentioned this in your uh, description, could you give a little bit more detail on what open source means for our listeners if they yeah. haven't heard that term? No, that's a great question. So um, open source uh, in the terms of, of software um, is really a... a um, it's a piece of software that isn't uh, copywritten, so there is nobody actually making a profit off of the software. Um, it's uh, something that people can use for free without having to pay for a license. And um, normally when you talk about uh, open source software, there's all kinds of open source software. There's apps you can download for your, your laptop or your computer. Um, and in terms of uh, web development, you have things like I mentioned WordPress before, um, Drupal, uh, and, and various different programming languages as well that are also open source. So it's free, uh, and then you have an open source community um, that builds on top of that. So it's license-free software is really essentially what it is. That's awesome. I'm excited because I know a little bit later we're going to talk about GovCon, and they had the keynote um, conversation on the contribution to Drupal. Sure, yeah. Uh, it was really interesting. Yeah, so yeah. So before we, we dive into to that, um, why would you say that Drupal is an important tool for designers and developers? Well, um, I think the biggest thing is um, as far as uh, software goes or web development software, the, the Drupal community is very, very large, as I mentioned before. Um, and since it's so large, you have a lot of documentation for software is um, how well the community documents what they're doing. Um, so if I were a developer and I wanted to use Drupal, but I had no idea where to start, there are just tons of tutorials and tons of things you can read to come become more familiar with that software. So as I'm building, I'm, I'm learning kind of about how it's put together and also how to expand on it. And that's, I talk a lot about it on, on our projects about building Drupal modules. And that's one of the kind of core principles of, of being a Drupal developer is that you you learn how to expand Drupal from what it what it is out of the box. You can build modules to do other things. Um, so, you know, Drupal uh, in on its own has a lot to offer and, uh, you know, you can, you can build themes around it. You can build modules to do extra things that you might ne not necessarily have out of the box. Um, and uh, yeah, I think in, in the federal sense, in the federal space at least, um, that is also another attractive thing is that, um, you know, it's free as I mentioned before. And then <laughs> it gives, there's so many starting places for developers to jump in and learn how to use it. Uh, and also for clients, there's a lot of documentation. 
there's training, there's tutorials uh, for clients to get on and learn how to navigate Drupal, learn how to use it for their content, uh, learn how to do things like approve content. There's a workflow that you can set up in, in Drupal, which works for a lot of clients as well. Yeah, I know um, as a coming from the point of view of not a developer, uh, Drupal is great because of just like you're saying, the actual content management system part of it. It um, Once it's configured and, you know, you work with your developers to configure it how you need it per your project or per your client, but it's very easy to use. I mean, mm -hmm. it you really don't, it yeah. sounds, it might sound intimidating, but it's really a very user-friendly system as um if you're not a developer and coming at it from any other skill set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that they've worked really hard in the last, um, really last two or three years to make uh, Drupal, especially the backend administrator interface, they've worked really hard to make that more user-friendly because I know uh, I've worked with clients migrating them from a WordPress site to a Drupal site. And one of the first things they said maybe five years ago is, this looks really confusing or this is really kind of clunky, but they've done a great job moving forward, kind of uh, making it more, um, I guess, uh, user-friendly, really. Uh, they've, they've made it cleaner uh, and e more easy to navigate as well. Yeah. I mean, I can validate for that as Liz and I are able to be in there and ed as editors um, from the work you and our other developers have done on our project. And then for those who are, because this is something that we've also worked on with you as one of the people that migrated or one of the projects that migrated from Drupal 7 or D7 to Drupal 9 or D9, we moved from D7 to D9. That was definitely a, a lift. It, it was definitely a project <laughs> that our team took on. But the the output, I mean, just going from D7 to D9 has been like a 180 mm -hmm. with, with how we can use it. So do you have any words of wisdom, advice, um, anything for people who are sort of faced with that, that upcoming project to take on for their own sites? Well, um, I'll say this. Uh, first, I want to say that the um, a lot of Drupal sites have been around for a while. They're probably on Drupal 7. Um, and if you're on Drupal 7, I, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> uh, Drupal 7's end of life has been extended several times now, and it will, uh, it will end, meaning the support will end for it this coming year. Um, so one thing that we're going to end up seeing next year is a kind of a mad dash for federal sites to migrate into Drupal 8, 9, and 10. Um, the bad part about that and kind of the, the unfortunate news is that it's not a very easy transition from seven to eight. Um, and, and, you know, several of our developers, we talk about this a lot with clients. What you're really looking at is a complete redevelopment of your site. Um, there are things you can do to help. Uh, there are, you know, migration pathways from seven to eight. Depending on your site, if you're talking about a lot of content, a lot of content types, a lot of data kind of in your database, you're, you're looking at a significant lift. And I know both of you are familiar with you know, how that will go. <laughs> it's time consuming. And sometimes it takes a lot of developers to, to split that up and, and successfully do it. Um, but I'll say uh, it's very, very beneficial to make that move from Drupal 7 to a future version of Drupal. And the reason for that is the the separation between seven and eight is really a complete redevelopment of Drupal itself. 
there is not much in in common between seven and eight. Um, they're both written in the language PHP, but the newer version of Drupal is written on a PHP framework called Symphony. And uh, it can seem really daunting and confusing for developers that are moving from seven to eight, because um, pretty much everything you've learned in seven kind of goes out the window for eight. Um, you have some of the basic core ideas for developing, but um, everything is really done very differently in eight. The good news is that once you get into eight, moving from eight, nine, and then 10 is very easy. That's uh, just almost like a click of a button to upgrade from that. Um, but yeah, it's it's completely, it's it's painful to be honest from going <laughs> from seven to, you know, a future version of, of Drupal. Uh, and, but, you know, as I said, there are tutorials, there's a lot of documentation that people uh, have done on that subject. Um, and there, there are a lot of companies, MetroStar being one, that, you know, work with federal clients on doing those migrations. Um, oh, shoot. I was going to say something. I forget what it was. Um, it had to do with the whole Drupal migration. Oh, yes. The going from anything in D8, so for short, Drupal 8, like 8.1 or 8.2. I'm not even sure the nomenclature, but it seems like on our project, um, our lead developer is like, oh yeah, we just upgraded like last night yeah. or I did it today. So there is light at the end of the tunnel once you migrate to eight, nine or 10. Sure, yeah, yeah. minor versions of Drupal are, are, are not really hard to upgrade to once you do get into eight. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for giving us a background on Drupal and a little bit uh, of um, some some words of wisdom for those who are jumping into to Drupal. Um, but we'll, right now, I think we're going to switch to um, Drupal GovCon. So you've been very involved with Drupal GovCon. And uh, before we jump in a little bit with the specifics of it, can you give just a background on what Drupal GovCon is to lay the baseline? Sure. Yeah, um, Drupal GovCon is, so there There are a lot of Drupal conferences. There's a, a main big uh, Drupal conference called just DrupalCon. And that usually, that's movable. It moves around the country and it's in different cities. Drupal GovCon is really a DC-based um, conference for the federal space is really what it is. Um, and it happens every year. Uh, obviously with COVID, it's been challenging because this is always an in-person conference. I've been involved with it for um, seven years, and I, I've always gone to the actual conference. That's in it's in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, but uh, you know, since uh, the pandemic, they were struggling to try to figure out a way to make this uh, still a thing, but have it all virtual. Um, so Drupal Drupal GovCon has been around for quite a while. I don't really know when it actually started, but I, I've been involved in for at least seven years. And um, you have sessions on um, Drupal, obviously, but you also have sessions <laughs> on project management, um, design, accessibility. Uh, is it, accessibility is a real big um, uh, subject at Drupal GovCon because of federal websites, there's a big drive to make those accessible. Um, and, uh, but not, not every session is kind of revolves around Drupal specifically. Sometimes some may not even touch on Drupal, but you have very helpful sessions on uh, how to manage projects with certain tools. Um, 
You have uh, really basic uh, sessions on how to use um, uh, code repositories or, you know, some kind of session that may be training for a specific type of software that may not even be Drupal related. So it's a very helpful conference uh, for, um, you know, anyone that really has their hands in the web development community at, at designer, project manager, um, whether you work directly with clients or not. And then obviously there's a whole part of it that is uh, dedicated to Drupal and Drupal development as well. Uh, but it's a, it's become a really great conference. I, um, I think when I got involved with it, um, I found myself, you know, Drupal's free, like I said, and I've been using it for free for a very long time. I've built my career around a piece of free software, which is seems silly to me. So I decided um, I need to do something to to kind of give back to this community that has given me so much. And I decided I wanted to get more involved in Drupal GovCon. And it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've spoken at several Drupal GovCons to some of the sessions have been standing room only, which has been surprising. Um, <laughs> but uh, it has become a really great conference for the DC area. And there are people from, there's actually, <laughs> It's become a, a big conference worldwide now. We've had people from um, just about every continent talk uh, at Drupal GovCon, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, we attended one of your um, 2021 uh, panels where it was a it was a UX and uh, Dev mixed panel that uh, both of us were in, mm -hmm. in attendance of. Yeah, and so from there um, to. Not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> could you tell us some uh, key takeaways um, for people to improve a federal agency's user experience? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I did. I did mention accessibility, and I want to put that kind of at the forefront because um, when it really comes down to it, a lot of the federal space has struggled very badly at making their websites more accessible, um, meaning. 508 compliance, which is also, that's a whole nother podcast for you guys if you want to just talk about that. <laughs> but um, that means that you have screen readers and um, people that with disabilities that are able to use a website more efficiently um, and things like maybe making the site more mobile friendly. Um, so uh, Drupal, uh, you know, in its earlier iterations really struggled with that. But now, um, and you know, in the last few years, uh, there are, are a lot of tools in Drupal and Drupal themes that make the site um, more polished for accessibility, uh, more mobile friendly, and you can build on um, tool sets to to really kind of expedite that uh, accessibility and the and the make it more user friendly. Really put uh, UX at the forefront of your Drupal project, and that was really kind of more kind of high level of what that session was about. Um, I could, I don't know if you want me to, but I could kind of go into uh, what this, what some of the things, the takeaways were about this Drupal GovCon uh, from kind of from last year. One thing that I saw um, is that uh, there's something called the US Web Design System uh, yep. or US, USWDS, and you, you're familiar with that. Um, so the U.S. web design system uh, has been around since about 2015, and um, our session last year touched on it a little bit. Um, that has been one of the things 
this year that has been more surprising is that uh, sessions that didn't even weren't even really about UX or design talked a lot about that. Um, so I think moving into next year, you're going to start hearing it more and more and more. Uh, one of the sessions that I uh, helped with this year was about was about migrations, actually, which we've kind of touched on already. Um, and uh, they kept mentioning that they used uh, the U.S. web design system to, uh, you know, help with their mobility and help with their accessibility for their site. And you know, it uh, it is a very powerful um, tool. Um, I don't I don't know how much we'll get into design systems or how much you've touched on them before. But uh, with, with design systems uh, kind of out of the box, it, it helps uh, with accessibility and uh, 508 compliance is a, a, a big thing for that theme as well, that design system as well. So we're gonna be hearing a lot more about uh, the US web design system in the future for sure. Before I, uh, before I grill you a little bit more about some of the, the um, transitions that you've done here at MetroStar, I wanted to ask Marie if you had anything you wanted to add on USWDS as, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I would love to talk about this. We could spend hours on it. Um, yeah, I guess. So I was able to participate in Drupal GovCon virtually, and the USWDS ones were, um, you know, top priority for me as a designer. Um, and only have worked been working with Drupal on our current project. So the last two years, and I would say definitely since our migration, really starting to understand the nuts and bolts of Drupal. Um, still definitely lots of learning to do there. Um, but do you have any like key takeaways from that panel about USWDS 2.0 um, and the new improvements and thoughts that the team shared and how they were connecting with Drupal better? Um, wow, that's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> um, let's see. So uh, I'll say that um, USWDS as a, as its own kind of entity has really evolved a lot. They do a lot of kind of constant testing on uh, USWDS to figure out ways they can improve it. They're rolling out um, some new features and for the life of me, I can't think of any of them right now off the top of my head. But um, they, I participate in, uh, usually try to participate in the monthly call that USWDS does where they talk about some of the features that are gonna be rolling out. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, um, they're, they're doing more and more to kind of solidify their, um, their role in getting federal websites um, kind of up to speed with mobile, mobile friendly sites and 508 compliance. And so that's gonna always be their kind of core uh, attributes for USWDS. Um, and uh, I think for the upcoming year, we're gonna start seeing more, uh, more and more kind of mobile, mobile friendly tools, mobile friendly elements that are gonna be added into uh, USWDS. It's things like making tables, making, um, you know, various web elements that we we actually use quite a bit in the federal space, making those more user-friendly. Um, form elements is a big thing as well. Form elements, um, it, they're actually really hard to make user-friendly um, for between mobile and desktop because 
browsers want to render those things differently. So USWDS has done a fantastic job of kind of trying to figure out a way to make those um, across all, you know, desktop, mobile, and tablet, making those uh, user-friendly for everybody. And so we're going to see more and more of that in the coming year as well. You probably saw us uh, chuckle a little bit when you said tables and forms. Uh, we we are one of those uh, federal agencies that uh, to use forms and tables a lot. So that's actually really um, like like oh that that'll be great. Like that's inspiring. Like we're gonna have some like good answers coming out soon with some good web uh, web standards to help us kind of push things along. Uh, uh, one follow-up question I do have for you is if someone wanted to join one of those uh, USWDS calls, how do they do that? Um, any suggestions? Um, well, so you can, uh, I think I've got that up right now. It is the, um, I think it's US Web Design Systems. If you, if you Google that or go to their website, at least, um, they have uh, just a, a sign up on there and they let you know via email. There's also a Slack channel you can join. Um, and I think most of the, the, they give a Slack notification and it's usually a Zoom call um, where they kind of demo some of the, the things. And you can ask questions as well. Um, but I, I signed up on their website for the mailing list and also I'm on their Slack channel and they, um, they're very good about answering questions for the developer community, but also the design community. Um, and uh, when they roll out a feature, they they give everyone a chance to kind of test it. Um, I think uh, back in 2018 or 2019, um, they rolled out kind of a menu system for USWDS. And I joined the call and uh, having tried to work on that menu system with uh, USDA, it did not go well. And so I, I was on the call and they gave us a chance to kind of openly ask questions to the hundred or so people that were on there. And there was a really good discussion about the menu system. I think someone from the um, patent and trade office uh, was on there and they were having the same problems I had. And that's kind of the nature of open sourceness. Uh, so USWS is, uh, is really good about that on the phone calls, but I would encourage anyone, any designers or developers to sign up for that and join their Slack channel as well. Awesome, thanks for that information. Yeah. So you actually just uh, touched upon it. Um, one of our, our next topics for you is uh, diving a little bit into the uh, farmers.gov website uh, transition that you did sure. um, for USDA. We actually have a case study on MetroStar's website about the um, about the website transformation that you did. Uh, but could you tell us a little bit more about your role and how Drupal is involved in this? Sure. Um, wow. This, uh, <laughs> this, this takes me back a little bit. A lot, lots of really great memories that were made on this project. Um, so when I was hired by MetroStar, uh, I was immediately put on uh, Farmers.gov. And when, it, when that site really kicked off, it was more or less a blog. And that was about it. Um, it was being used to kind of um, talk about some of the more grassroots projects that USDA was, uh, was starting, um, really kind of beginning some outreach to individual farmers and producers. Um, but they wanted to make a bigger site that had tools that farmers and producers could use. Um, but there was really no way to do that in its current state. So um, working with 
our designers at MetroStar um, really gathering a lot of data, doing a lot of workshops around um, our, our client at USDA, but also really reaching out to farmers and producers and talking directly to them and just basic ask, asking basic questions like, what is it that you would you need on this site? What are things that are hard for you to get done? Like, do you have a hard time filling out paperwork and getting it to your local USDA service center? Tell us some of the problems that you're having and we want to try to help fix those. So it really was at you know its core a, a grassroots website, which was fantastic to, to work on. Because I think every anyone that works on that site, you learn a lot, not just about um, USDA, but you learn a lot about uh, farmers and producers and kind of the trials and tribulations of of being a farmer and producer because it's it's hard work. You know, it's we have farm machinery, really great advanced technologies and things to help with farming, but um, some of these you know producers and farmers they still have to go to their service center and bring tons and stacks of documents uh, and and give that all to their service center representative. So one of the things that we wanted to do is uh, figure out how can we make some tools to uh, help them figure out what they need to bring with them. So we did a number of tools. One of them was a, a farm loan tool uh, that basically walks you through it. It was essentially, they talk about it as a TurboTax style type of workflow. And that's essentially what it is as it's, at its core is a, a very easy to understand workflow that ask you some simple questions and at the end of the tool it tells you exactly what you need and gives you the links to download the forms that you need to carry with you and it gives you some some tips on you know make sure you bring this but also make sure you bring these other forms too um, which I, I think has some uh, great comments from the community I think it was very helpful um, the site farmers.gov has really evolved into um, really I think all of USDA kind of directs people to that site for, um, you know, really help on, on finding your service center, help on finding uh, the documents that you need for various um, programs that they have uh, going on. And one of the bigger parts that we, one of the bigger things that we did for USDA is we developed a service center locator for them that um, it's populated automatically from their um, their system into the website. So a farmer or producer can go on and they can find in kind of almost in real time, they can find where they're supposed to go to bring all of their documents for the programs they want to enroll in. Um, and uh, yeah, that we, we took what was kind of a minor blog site and made it into this kind of full blown, almost an agency of its own uh, type website. Awesome. Can you, so you mentioned the farmer's loan application and the service center locator feature. Can you talk a little bit about how um, you and the designers on the project work together? There were other websites in the USDA where you could get information about the farm loan programs. We also have another one called Disaster Assistance Tool. Um, and that one, that actually was one of the first um, tools that I think we built for USDA on the website. And I remember attending some of these meetings uh, talking about the flow of this disaster discovery tool. And when I say disaster, I mean, I'm actually talking about real natural disasters like wildfires and floods and tornadoes, hurricanes, things like that. 
and the uh, USDA wanted to put forth some kind of uh, program for farmers and producers to enroll in uh, financial assistance for any kind of natural disaster that has affected them. The workflow for this um, program was if I printed it out and the icons were about that big, it would be it would cover a significant part of whatever room you're in. <laughs> and uh, it was it was just daunting to see the workflow of that. So our uh, our role in in kind of simplifying that was to figure out um, how how would people use this tool? How would people easily navigate through this tool if we were to make kind of a tangible, actual automated, not automated, but interactive tool on the website? So we started looking at data. We started looking at, you know, how users use websites within USDA. Where do they click? What do they look for? Um, we just had spreadsheets, all kinds of spreadsheets of data. And then our UX uh, designers, and uh, we, we got together, talked a little bit about, um, well, one thing is we, we wanted to make this as easy as possible. And it's really hard to make things like that with so much data simple. It's really hard to make things like that simple. So, um, you know, we ended up doing kind of a point and click type thing, like pick your disaster and pick, you know, what what types of crops uh, were affected by that disaster. Um, and then at the end of the, the tool, we actually give you like kind of a big list of here are all the disaster programs that you qualify for. And here's all the documents that you need to fill out for um, enrolling in assistance for those programs. So uh, at its core, you know, the disaster assistance um, program, that was really a huge study in uh, UX. It was really a huge study in data, how people use websites and the UX of kind of a federal agency and their data, um, a UX study of a federal agency and their data. Uh, and that's still something that if you go and use that tool right now, it is, uh, it's really daunting how we were able to take kind of this really difficult topic and subject and just boil it down into a, like, I think there's maybe five screens that you go through, that you walk through on that. Um, and we made it as simple as possible and they still use it a lot because we, we look at the data and, you know, how many people are using it. But all the tools on, on farmers.gov are used quite a bit and they're constantly getting updates. They're constantly being, you know, new uh, parts of those programs added. And the way that the, the, the developers that worked on that, myself included, we made farmers.gov uh, in a way that we can constantly add or take away uh, to those various tools and kind of make them uh, have a life of their own, really. They, um, they're, most of them are developed with a set of modules, and we made those modules very easy to kind of further develop if they need to. And I get updates from some of the developers that are still on farmers.gov from time to time saying, oh, yeah, we're adding this new part of this project or we're adding a new part of the tool. And one thing they're working on right now is actually making um, some of those tools into several different languages as well, which is, again, a whole nother topic. Um, but that's kind of what they're working on right now with farmers.gov as well. That's awesome. I feel like just talking about it doesn't do that tool justice, the disaster one. Yeah, because it, I mean, it's amazing how simple and easy and clean it is. Um, 
And so all the work that goes into that. Yeah, no, like uh, we've checked out that as inspiration for stuff on our project. And um, mm-hmm. I really encourage anyone who's listening to to go to Farmers.gov and check it out because th- those tools are awesome on on Farmers.gov. And it really shows the um, the partnership between dev and design and UX and like everything coming together and working with mm-hmm. the client and making sure that the output for those that use it really is as simple and as user-friendly as possible. Yeah. And I will plug, uh, I, I know the farmers. Oh. That, I would say that um, as far as projects go, and I've worked on a lot of projects, a lot of different federal agencies. I think the farmers.gov project was really like the first time that I saw um, UX design and developers kind of working um, probably closer than I've ever seen any other project before because we were basically sitting beside each other all the time. We had, uh, I don't know, five whiteboards that were always full of, you know, mock-ups and just quick drawings. And, you know, we would workshop a, a small problem with the UX team and say, okay, how does how should this work? And sometimes they would, you know, come up with a solution and we would say, I'm sorry, the internet doesn't work that way. And we would have to <laughs> back of the drawing board and kind of say, okay, well, can we do it this way? And there was this kind of um, perfect marriage of UX and and development, kind of uh, just this constant talking about uh, UX problems and how a developer could, you know, get those actually working in the real world. Um, and I and I think we've tried to bring that kind of atmosphere to other projects in uh, MetroStar as well, which uh, you know I think is a great thing. I think if you get a, a UX team and a developer team working very very well together, you're going to have a really successful project. Yeah, yeah, to- I would agree. Totally agree. <laughs> um, did uh, did you want to put a plug in for something or? Oh yeah, I was going to say also on the farmers project they. Um, I'm not sure because I wasn't on the project, but definitely had a design system inspired by USWDS. So just putting a plug back to them. Um, I think because that was also a couple years ago, and I know it was harder to implement the actual code from USWDS. A little out of my scope of exactly how it goes on in the background. Um, But the design system and the UI was inspired and aligned with USWDS. for accessibility, for um, being able to easily know it's a government website. Um, That's cool. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Nice little trivia fact there. Early early on on farmers.gov, we we did try to implement uh, USWDS, but it was actually still kind of in its infancy, really. Um, There were certain problems with uh, using it at the time that we were trying to overcome. One of them I mentioned earlier was the menu system we had. A, a kind of an unusual menu system that we were trying to implement. Um, and there were some elements that actually weren't even available in USWDS yet that we needed. So um, we ended up really making our own design system, as you said, heavily based on USWDS. That design system is actually open source. It's on GitHub. You can go and download it. You could actually use it for your your website if you wanted to. Um, and they, they update it constantly. They're always adding new elements to it. Um, but yeah, it is, it is very heavily based on USWDS. Uh, it's got a, a big, uh, accessibility factor to it. Um, uh, USDA really has worked hard on 508 compliance and accessibility. Um, so we, you know, put that at the forefront. That's one thing that we all always wanted to, to make sure that we were including in that design system. 
Um, but yeah, it uh, for a while early on on Farmers.gov, you had two design systems that were basically living parallel to each other because we were trying to replace the old design system with the new one. And you can't just like pull the trigger and replace those because <laughs> things break. So we had we actually had their old design system and a new design system kind of living uh, on the, the site at the same time. And I had to develop a Drupal module to basically say, okay, I want to exclude this page from the design system, but I want it to include the new one. And it, it was a little chaotic, but we were rolling out, we would roll out kind of every two weeks, we would roll out a new feature and a new couple of pages for the design system. So as we kind of iterated through the project, pages started being replaced and being put into the new design system little by little until eventually we could just kind of turn the off the old design system and the new one kind of took over throughout the whole site. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. I feel like that's a whole nother like podcast episode too, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you know, getting that buy-in from your client too. Cause I mean, that's time and energy and cost um, that's important. Um, but right. It's kind of like all behind the seat, behind the scenes impact. So, right. Sometimes it's hard to get clients to understand that that's just as important yeah, as that's a, a really good point too, because I think, um, you know, the clients, they, they have their own needs. They're kind of, well, we want this posted online. We, we want this tool built immediately, but, um, they were, you know, really good about kind of understanding, well, we can build this tool, but in the future, if you want changes to it, it's, there's going to be a significant rework just to get those done. And it's going to save you time and money, to be honest. Um, by thinking kind of forward, getting a new design system that's clean so that we can make these features um, in the future. So they were very early on, they were like, okay, yeah, you know, it took a little bit of convincing, but we showed them some examples and showed them kind of the reason for doing that. And they came on board and um, I think they started seeing it in action uh, very quickly. Uh, and actually, I know we, we talk about accordions on some of our other projects those were some of the first things that we rolled out were just very simple UI uh, elements uh, like accordions and uh, cards and blocks and things like that of their own style. And once we started rolling those out, they were like, oh yeah, this, these, these work great. These look good. They look good on mobile, <laughs> on desktop. So it was, it was easy after that for them to kind of buy into what we wanted to do. Well, uh, as we kind of uh, wrap up our, our podcast here with you, we wanted to ask uh, one general question for you of where do you predict the future of Drupal will be? Nah, you know, just, just a small question to send you off. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So one thing, since, since we're on kind of, we're upcoming on Drupal 10, actually, uh, we've talked a little bit about Drupal 7. Uh, the end of life for that is uh, coming up in this coming November uh, in the next year. Um, and I mentioned before, you're probably going to see a lot of federal agencies scrambling to try to figure out how to get off of Drupal 7. And I've already had several phone calls with uh, project managers that are working for other, other agencies uh, trying to figure out, well, what do they need to do to, to get off of Drupal 7? And as I mentioned, that's going to be more or less a complete rework of, of their current theme and, and installing Drupal 8 and going up to 9 and 10. Um, Drupal 10, I think, is slated to uh, debut in June of next year. Um, and the kind of the interesting thing there is that 
Uh, Drupal is now iterating through newer versions quicker than we ever have in, in the Drupal community. For a long time, we had Drupal 6 uh, for years and years, and then Drupal 7 came out and we had years went by. I mean, probably five years of people kind of using Drupal 7. Then Drupal 8 came out and there was like, okay, well, this is kind of a redevelopment of your entire site now. And there's still a lot of sites that haven't kind of pulled the trigger on, on doing that. Um, so this coming year, you're going to see um, a lot of migration projects, I think. A lot of migrating from Drupal 7 and even Drupal 8, uh, upgrading from Drupal 8 to Drupal 9 and 10. Um, with those, those versions going from 8, 9, and 10, you're not seeing as much of a uh, kind of a hard um, difference between versions of Drupal. You're really seeing more kind of um, minor changes on the back end, minor administration um, tools uh, on the back end. You're seeing cleaner UX, uh, more accessibility is being worked into um, those minor versions of Drupal. Um, and then one thing in Drupal 10, Drupal 9 and 10, you're seeing a lot more uh, kind of developer tools as well. You're seeing the ability to build applications in Drupal and use Drupal tools that are already provided rather than having to develop something from, um, from scratch, really. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot more applications being built uh, using Drupal as its back end. Um, you'll see a lot more JavaScript heavy applications for the front end with Drupal back ends. So we call that headless or un uncoupled, decoupled applications. Um, and then uh, you, you'll you'll probably see a lot more upgrades and a lot more migrations that I mentioned before. I feel like the uh, the headless uh, uh, headless Drupal or headless CMSs are like another whole podcast that we could just like narrow in on and like pick your brain about. But I will I'll save that for that uh, follow up question for another time. Yeah. Uh, any other lingering questions while we have Jason? Nope, I'm good. All right, awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We've loved getting to know a little bit more about Drupal and really getting to um, uh, hear your expertise and have you share it with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And this is Mock It. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And join us next time. As always, if you're interested in learning more about how government and tech collide, visit metrostar.com and follow us on socials.